if you have your Bibles, please meet me in Psalm 115. The text reads like this. Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name give glory for the sake of your steadfast love and your faithfulness. Why should the nation say, where is their God? Our God is in the heavens. He does all that he pleases. Their idols are silver and gold, the work of human hands. They have mouths but do not speak, eyes but do not see. They have ears but do not hear, noses but do not smell. They have hands but do not feel, feet but do not walk. And they do not make a sound in their throat. Those who make them become like them. So do all who trust in them. O Israel, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. O house of Aaron, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. You who fear the Lord, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. The Lord has remembered us. He will bless us. He will bless the house of Israel. He will bless the house of Aaron. He will bless those who fear the Lord, both the small and the great. May the Lord give you increase, you and your children. May you be blessed by the Lord who made heaven and earth. The heavens are the Lord's heavens, but the earth he has given to the children of man. The dead do not praise the Lord, nor do any who go down into silence. But we will bless the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. Praise the Lord. Amen. And three staff members dead. Well, this isn't necessarily a normal thing in this country for someone who is from the United States. This type of tragedy has felt like something that has become part of our modern news cycle. Only for me, this wasn't a typical mass shooting. The Lord placed a burden on my heart for these people, specifically because Covenant School is a part of Covenant Presbyterian Church meaning that this shooting was against the people of God. Church members and leaders lost their loved ones in this horrific tragedy, including the lead pastor of the church, losing his own nine-year-old daughter in this terrible tragedy. This leaves many people inside of the church, inside of the larger community of Knoxville, and throughout the whole world with one simple question. Where is God when tragedy like this strikes. There are three negative reactions that we see from people in response to this type of question. The first group will allow their faith to grow cold as a result of, of tragedy. They refuse to seek answers to, the, to this question and suffer as a result of this. The second group will apostatize from their faith because of a tragedy like this, thinking that God has abandoned them or that he couldn't have been real in the first place if he allows something like this to happen to the most innocent people in this world. The third group will see tragedy like this and try to mock the very idea that God is real in the first place. 
These mockers see tragedy like this happening inside of a Christian school and try to mock that Christians who believe that God is watching over them and protecting them would allow something like this to happen. All three of these responses are sinful. So then what should our response be to something like this? Well, we as Christians should be actively seeking to answer this question, where is God in our suffering? We need to answer this question not so we can shove all of our emotional responses down and just ignore them, but so that we may work through and process these emotions healthily, honoring God with these feelings and with this lament. The first and most important thing that we need to realize when trying to answer a question of this caliber is also my main point for this evening's sermon. And that is that our God is almighty. Now this word almighty is not something that we use very often in our common English. So let me give you a definition that we are going to be working with this evening. Almighty means that God is all-powerful. He has complete power above all things and has no limitation. He does everything that is according to his own will and desires. This leaves us as humans to be in awe of his power and see that he is a great, mighty, and awesome God. But God being almighty does it makes us think that we might be possibly removed from him. But this isn't true. On the contrary, he has done great works in this world so that we may be reunited with him and come into communion with him and share in his power. When someone is saved and has entered into union with Christ, that person has access to the very power of God to be holy by turning away from their sin and finding hope rest, and peace in God. So where is God in our suffering? He is with us. He has not abandoned us or abandoned this world, but he is indwelling in us and giving us the comfort and support that we need. This idea that the almighty God is our comfort in times of trouble is the reason that Psalm 115 was written in the first place. The psalm was probably written to call Israel to trust in God during the midst of some type of crisis, most likely a military attack. We will then draw out this same principle of trusting in God's power through times of trouble when going through this text this evening. Breaking down this psalm, we will first look at what it means to trust in idols and the deception that idols offer us. Then we will look at the strength of God, seeing the blessing that flows from trusting in an almighty God. And then finally, we will finish by looking at the end of both roads and what that means for us as humans. Let's start by looking at the deception of idols in this first bit of the psalm. Reading verses 1 through 8, the text reads, Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name give glory. For the sake of your steadfast love and your faithfulness. Why should the nation say, where is their God? Our God is in the heavens. He does all that he pleases. 
Their idols are silver and gold, the work of human hands. They have mouths but do not speak, eyes but do not see. They have ears but do not hear, noses but do not smell. They have hands but do not feel, feet but do not walk. And they do not make a sound in their throat. Those who make them become like them, so do all who trust in them. The nature of our text this evening is a little bit unusual when compared with other psalms. Psalms 113 through 118 are the Egyptian Hallel psalms, meaning that Israel would read this psalm particularly around the time of the Passover. For Psalm 115 in particular, we see this back and forth change of who is speaking between the worship leader and the congregation, meaning that there is some involvement from both sides in singing out this psalm. Our our psalm then begins with the psalmist giving us the key for interpreting the rest of this text right here in the first verse of the psalm. Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name give glory. The psalmist is exhorting us to look outside of ourselves for righteousness and glory. This small, simple line with a small repetition calls us to not give glory to ourselves and recognize that we are not glorious people. Because of our sinful natures, we have inherited and embraced unrighteousness from our births and are therefore undeserving of any type of glory. That is why the psalmist then wants us to look at God for his righteousness and glory, because he is the one who has, who has true and pure steadfast love and faithfulness. We then immediately are confronted by the culture that doesn't look to God for his glory. Verse 2 has the nations asking the people of God, where is your God? They cannot see him, they cannot hear him, they cannot feel him. So where is your God? For the one who follows God, the answer to this question is easy. Our God is in the heavens, he does all that he pleases. Meaning that our God is above all things. He is in the heavens above creation because he is the one responsible for creating everything. For the Christian who looks outside of themselves, they see where God is and see his glory and power. But for the people who have not been exposed to the gospel, who have not had the Holy Spirit working inside of their lives and showing them the power and the glory of God, they attempt to look elsewhere for this power and glory. When we were created by God, we were created to be in constant relationship with our creator and with our father. But when sin entered into our lives, we were separated from God and left empty. Left to our own devices, we look inwardly to our own hearts and try to fill this God-shaped hole with other things of this world, which then turn into the idols in our lives. Our very nature, as John Calvin wrote, is to be a perpetual idol factory, always coming up with something new to put in God's place in our lives. These idols may be close to the shape of this hole in our hearts, but they will never fit in there perfectly. 
Idols by nature reflect ideas of what we think our God should be like, but are distorted by our very own sin nature. So they will never be what we truly want them to be. We are like a toddler who's trying to put a square peg inside of a round hole. We as sinners try to shove these idols into the place where God should be, always to no avail and to our own displeasure. So how do we recognize these idols in our lives? Well, lucky for us, Psalm 115 does a great job of helping us recognize these idols. Verses 4 through 8 of the psalm give us descriptions of what idols are and how we can identify them. The first thing we see about idols is that they are very attractive. Verse 4 says that idols are made out of silver and gold, the work of human hands. I'm sure that I do not have to tell you that silver and gold are precious and desirable metals. The, uh, the, the more likely, uh, the, the more of silver and gold that a person has, the more likely the world is to look at that person and think that they are more important. Therefore, silver and gold are desirable as people want to prove their value or increase their status in this world. While silver and gold are still status symbols in this world and sought after, the way in which idols show us their attractiveness is not reserved only for precious metals. For us in the modern day, idols are seen as attractive because they can offer to us comfort. They can offer simplicity, status, power, etc. Whatever sin your heart may desire, there is an answer for it in some sort of idol in this world. While idols may not be explicit as they were in ancient Israel in physical statues, we can find idols in the ways that we look at our phones and interact with social media. The things we buy as we embrace materialism or by even what we consume, both physically in eating and drinking and virtually through the media we consume. As we chase the dopamine rush that, that, that these things offer our brains. Idols have the goal of offering you this satisfaction for whatever selfish desire your heart may have. And once the idol grabs your attention, their goal then is to keep your attention. The way that idols try to keep your attention is through commitment. Idols, both new and old, try to offer to, to the people things that they desire but we as people fail to see and these idols fail to make known the consequences of what these commitments mean. The way that our psalmist describes it in this passage is that these idols have all these uh, human-like features with them having mouths, eyes, ears, noses, hands, feet, but can't use any of these features for anything. They're all a sham, which is the essence of all idols. Idols are meant to attract us with empty promises and encourage our commitment to them. For ancient idols, what this looked like is the creation of pagan religions. For the Canaanites who worship Baal, they were promised fertility, not only for their crops, but also for their families and for their children. But what were the demands of worshiping Baal? They were child sacrifice where people would offer up their firstborn child and sacrifice to Baal, thinking that this 
this act would appease him. This idea of fertility and growth that the Canaanites were seeking after was given up to their idols in their worship. So their worship to these idols were all in vain. For modern day idols, there's nothing new under the sun. We think that we find comfort and relief in the material things of this world only for this relief to be temporary, leaving us feeling empty and eventually leading to us craving these things more and more until we become addicted to them. One of the biggest examples of this in our modern day is how the agenda of the progressive movement in the West has changed in such a short period of time by worshiping at the altar of inclusion. Just a decade ago, the progressive movement was looking for inclusion in all areas of life, like the legalization of gay marriage, which was only passed into law just a decade ago. The progressive movement saw this victory and has craved more of this virtue of inclusion. Now in our modern culture, it is no longer good enough for you to be neutral toward the progressive movement. You are either an ally in aiding the progressive movement to reach their goals in their inclusive agenda, or you are an enemy who is not helping the movement progress at all. Our culture craves this inclusion, but will never be satisfied as they always move the goalpost just a little bit further once the culture starts to get close to their original goal. All as idols hold our attention and they start to give us bigger and bigger cravings for them, we are led into desanctification or desecration. Now, in a previous sermon that I've preached here at HEC, I've talked about the process of sanctification or becoming more like God. I've given the example that once you start hanging out with a specific group of people long enough, you start to look more and more like these people. Just as you start to become, you start to look more and more like God the more time you spend with him. The same is true, but in an opposite way for the process of de-sanctification. Verse 8 of Psalm 115 says, Those who make them, being idols, become like them. So do all who trust in them. So as people spend time worshiping the idols of their heart, they become more like those idols. Instead of the good parts of God showing in you in sanctification, the sinful and evil part of idols grow and are cultivated in you in desanctification. What we are seeing here, highlighted in this section of this passage, is that idols are very deceiving. They offer a lot of lofty and empty promises that upon first glance look very appealing and they grab our attention. All of their promises, though, are cursed. And every desire that we seek through them will only leave us more empty than before. Worshiping these idols will never give us salvation. Worshiping these idols will never give us true satisfaction. That's because idols, by their very nature, are deceiving. But gladly enough for us, this is only the first half of tonight's psalm. We, do not, we are not truly and utterly hopeless. We do not have to worship these idols forever, looking for one that fits perfectly inside of our hearts, only to no avail. 
Instead, we know that if we look outside of ourselves, outside of our own hearts, we can see God, who by filling the holes in our hearts makes us new. Our God, our almighty God, uses his power to change our hearts and change our affections so that we may not worship ourselves or whatever we create with our hands, but we can instead rightly worship the creator, our almighty God. Let's pick up and read the next couple of verses, picking back up in verse 9. We're going to read through verse 15. It says, O Israel, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. O house of Aaron, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. You who fear the Lord, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. The Lord has remembered us. He will bless us. He will bless the house of Israel. He will bless the house of Aaron. He will bless those who fear the Lord, both the small and the great. May the Lord give you increase, you and your children. May you be blessed by the Lord who made heaven and earth. In this section of the psalm, we see the worship leader turn to Israel and exhort them to trust in the Lord in the midst of this conflict that they are going through. He exhorts three different groups of people in Israel to trust in the Lord. This is in order to act as an exhaustive list to cover all of God's people. If you are a part of God's people, then trust in the Lord, for he is our help and our shield. He offers us protection in times of trial through his shield and helps us through these trials with his help and with his power. What we see here is the worship leader exhorting Israel to trust in the Lord, not because of how our God looks or because of some empty promises, but because the power of God that works for our good in our lives. While idols are meant to attract people through their empty promises and lies, our God redemptively attracts us as his people to himself. He offers us promises that will not go empty or unfulfilled, but that will always come into fruition. What is so amazing about this redemptive attraction is that it is irresistible. Our God, in his almighty power, knew from the beginning who was going to come to him because he predestined us to do so. We see this all over scripture. Romans 8.30, and those whom he predestined, he also called. Ephesians 1.4, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. John 6.37, all that the Father gives to me, gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. When God reveals himself to us, we stop looking inside of ourselves for satisfaction and fulfillment, and instead look outside of ourselves to God and find fulfillment in him. This is because our God attracts us with grace, that we could never resist. At that point, we don't even need to worry about God trying to hold our attention like the idols do. Again, just like God attracting us to him, he also redeems our attention. The sweetness of the gift that he offers to us is so amazing 
that nothing that this world could ever offer will turn us or draw us away from him. When we see the power of God on display and feel the effects of his power changing our hearts and giving us new life, we recognize that nothing else in this world will ever give us the same satisfaction. A life with God, a life in intimate communion with him, a life experiencing the fullness of union with Christ is a life that we could never forsake for anything else. There is no idolatrous promise that could ever draw us away and make null and void the power of Christ's blood over our sins and over our lives. Once we are washed clean from these sins, we will never be dirty again. The truth, this truth, this idea that our God has remembered us and will deliver on his promises so that we never have to even think of turning away we see in verses 12 and 13 of this psalm. The same groups that our psalmist calls to trust in the Lord are again uh, repeated and told that the Lord will bless them. It does not matter if you've been a Christian for essentially your entire life. It does not matter if you've been a Christian for the past 30 minutes. It does not matter if you've committed very minor sins throughout the course of your life or you committed some very serious sins just yesterday. Whatever your sins may be, they separated you from God. But if you fear the Lord, if you trust in Christ as your Savior, if God has regenerated your heart and given you new life, then Christ's righteousness is applied to your account. Giving your life to Christ means that your sin is no longer yours to bear. Christ has paid for it once and for all time. God, through his power, has cleansed you and made you holy, making you a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. But God's power and blessing is not reserved solely for the moment you came to him or for Christ's death on the cross. The power and blessing of God is working in the heart of the Christian right now and will continue working in the heart of the Christian until they, re they are reunited with him in the kingdom. Again, returning to this idea of sanctification, just as like when you spend more time with idols, the more you start to look like those idols and become desanctified, so it is true that the more time that you spend with God, the more you will be like him and be sanctified. The all-powerful, almighty God is working inside of you every day to make you more like him. Now I need to clarify. I cannot deny to, I cannot deny to you that there will be days where this doesn't feel like it's true. There will be days where you sit in despair and wonder where God is and why you can't feel him working in you. I would be lying to you if I said that every day only continues to get better. Just like a straight line on a graph going up and to the right. That's not true. Not if, but when those days come. Resist the urge to look to yourself and wonder as you look solely at your own heart where God is. But instead, look up to God, where our change comes from. 
Look and behold his mighty power and meditate on the things that he has done in our lives. See how he has completely changed your life and your heart. For those of you who have been Christians for some time, for 5, for 10, for 20, for 30 years, think about your sins from back then. And then realize how you no longer desire most of those sins. Realize that God's power did not just work on the day where your heart was made new, but that his almighty power continues to work inside of you for your good and for his glory. Finally, we come to the end of both roads, both the serving of idols and the serving of God. The life of the idolater and the life of the God-fearer end in very different places. So let's look at, this la- at the last couple of verses here in Psalm 115 and see what it says. Picking back up in verse 16, it says, The heavens are the Lord's heavens, but the earth he has given to the children of man. The dead do not praise the Lord, nor do any who go down into silence. But we will bless the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. Praise the Lord. Our final section begins with the psalmist making a final acknowledgement that the Lord is above all things and has given the earth to us as the children of man. With this earth being meant for mankind, and the Lord reigning in the heavens, man is then left with a responsibility to praise the Lord for the works of creation and for his rule. But we both know from experience and from what we read here in this psalm that this is not the case. Not everyone praises the Lord for what he has done because they have not seen him or recognized him. For the idolater, their end is already written. But for the Christian, for the ones who have come to Christ or will eventually come to Christ, they will praise the Lord and bring glory to his name forevermore. Their end will never come. For the one who does not know God, who does not praise God for who he is, who has never tasted the sweetness of salvation, the psalmist describes them as dead. Because they do not praise the Lord, they will go down in silence as punishment for their sin. Since they have lived with idols in their hearts and they've never looked outside of themselves, they will go down in the silence that they deserve for their unrighteousness. But for the one who does know God, they will be praising his name forevermore. The one who knows God knows God intimately. They've been brought into perfect union with Christ. The Christian sin has been washed away by Christ's death and they are no longer standing guilty before a holy God. Simply being in God's presence causes us to proclaim and praise the name of the Lord for not only the perfect work that he has done, but also for his perfect character and his perfect power. This communion with God is exactly what man was created for. And those who proclaim Christ as Lord will enjoy this paradise throughout eternity forevermore. So for all of you here who are listening tonight, 
Let me exhort you, just as the worship leader did here in Psalm 115. O church, trust in the Lord. He is our help and our shield. O Hoylake Evangelical Church, trust in the Lord. He is our help and our shield. You who trust in Christ as your Savior, trust in the Lord. He is our help and our shield. Trust in the Lord alone. Do not seek comfort from the idols of this world. They will offer you lofty promises, but will never give you the deliverance that you are hoping for. You will only be disappointed if you trust in these idols. So instead, trust in the Lord. Our God, who reigns in the heavens, is above all and everything in this world. He is perfect in power and covered in majesty. And his power, his almighty power, is available to you to work in your heart today. Whatever tragedy comes your way, whatever suffering you may face, do not look inside of yourself for assurance and peace. Do not look to the idols of this world and try to self-medicate your pain. But look to our God instead. Look to his amazing power rely on him. He is always with you, and he will never abandon you. Amen. Let's pray.